which is at Sancria, that ye receive her in the Lord as become of saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you. For she hath been a succor of many, and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved Apenetus, who is the first fruits of Achaia unto Christ. Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Salute Urbane, our brother in Christ, and Stachus, my beloved. Salute Apolles, approved in Christ. Salute them which are of Aristobulus' household. Salute Herodian, my kinsmen. Greet them that be of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. Salute Tryphena and Tryphosa, who labor in the Lord. Salute the beloved Persis, which be labored much in the Lord. Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Salute Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Patrobus, and the brethren, and Hermes, and the brethren which are with them. Salute Philologus and Julia, Nerus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints which are with them. Salute one another with an holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf, but yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Timotheus, my workfellow, and Lucius, and Jason, and Sosipater, my kinsmen, salute you. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, salute you in the Lord. Gaius, mine host and of the whole church, saluteth you. Erastus, the chamberlain of the city, saluteth you, and Cordus, a brother. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets 
according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. To God only wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. If you would like to turn with me to our text this Lord's Day, we are considering together Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7. For we read these words. The just man walketh in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. There are different human instruments God uses in bringing people to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For example, the Lord uses ministers and elders, brothers and sisters, husbands and wives, friends and co-workers, and even total strangers at times. But it seems to me that those to whom the Lord has appointed the greatest influence in leading people to the Savior are Christian parents. Parents, our children are corrupted with sin from the very moment of conception. They are not free of guilt, but have been infected by us with sin. The fact that we as parents have been agents of our children's spiritual corruption and death should in fact provide the greatest motivation on our part to lead them to the only one who can heal them of this terminal disease of sin, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. We as parents, dear ones, cannot save our children from sin and condemnation. The church cannot save our children. Baptism cannot save our children. Only Jesus Christ can save our children, for only he died to rescue believing sinners from the holy wrath and condemnation of God. Dear ones, never forget that the Lord Jesus saves sinners, even little bitty sinners. Jesus saves sinners. But he ordinarily uses means to accomplish his salvation in our lives. And there is not a greater means which the Lord uses to bring about salvation in the lives of our children than Christian parents. Dear Christian parents, your influence for good in leading your children to Christ, I would submit to you, is far greater than that of mine own. And I'm not seeking to minimize in saying that the office of minister. Consider how much more time you have with your children than I. Consider the near loving relationship you bear to your children. Consider how well you know your own children. Consider how God has sovereignly placed your children in your home to be under your loving oversight and supervision for their benefit. For these reasons, it is evident that your influence for good is far greater than that of mine or elder hearts in the lives of your children. But just as your influence may and ought to be used for their good, so it may that ought not to be used for their harm. Parents can also be the greatest means of turning their children away 
from the Lord Jesus Christ through their hypocrisy, ungodliness, and worldliness. Dear parent, I ask you today, what power of influence has God placed with you in the lives of your children? An immense power. More, I would submit, than anyone else in this world. How are you using that influence? From our text this Lord's Day, let us consider the following two main points. The character of a just man, and secondly, the reward of a just man. First of all, the character of a just man. Before considering the blessing that comes upon the children of a just man, it is necessary that we first understand something about the character of that just man who is the agent of such blessing to his children. What does Solomon mean by a just man in Proverbs 20, verse 7? Well, it conveys at least the following two ideas. He means not only the father... I would submit to you, but also the mother, when he speaks of a just man. For mothers, as well as fathers, are appointed to be instruments of blessing to their children. Consider how Timothy received such rich blessings through his Christian mother and grandmother. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, and in chapter 3, verse 15, from his mother and grandmother, he was taught the scriptures which are able to make him wise into salvation from the time he was a small, small child. You see, the masculine gender is often used generically in the scriptures for both male and female. Thus, we are speaking of a just father as well as a just mother who become a channel of blessing to their children. A second distinction that should be made from our text here in Proverbs 20, verse 7, is that Solomon speaks distinctively of Christian parents and not of all parents indiscriminately. That is, only those parents who are just or justified before God. God declares here in Proverbs 20, verse 7, that only Christian parents are a blessing to their children in the sense used here by Solomon, only Christian parents. Solomon not only intends to exclude non-Christian parents from being a blessing to the children in this verse, but even excludes mere professing Christian parents or nominal Christian parents as the means of blessing their children in the sense used here in Proverbs 20, verse 7. Certainly, non-Christian parents or nominal Christian parents may convey various blessings of common grace to their children. For example, certain moral values or financial wealth or intellectual or physical abilities or self-discipline. We could go on and on as to various blessings of common grace that that non-Christian parents can convey to their children but they cannot convey the blessings of which Solomon here speaks if they do not themselves possess them. Only parents who are just can convey these blessings to their children. 
Although we so often from this pulpit proclaim the matters related to justification, I cannot simply skip over discussing that briefly even at this point. For I never weary, dear ones, of proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray you never weary of hearing it. How Jesus Christ has offered his life that you might be delivered from the curse of the law once and for all. And let me give to you, therefore, four points that summarize the biblical doctrine of justification. Very briefly, first of all, justification is not a change of a sinner's nature, but a change of a sinner's status before God. From guilty to righteous. That is, justification does not make the ungodly righteous, but rather declares the ungodly to be righteous. Whereas before being justified, the sinner was condemned by the holy law of God, after justification, he is forever beyond the condemning wrath of the law of God. The condemning wrath of God can never again touch the one who is justified and declared righteous by God. A second point. Justification is not a process carried out over a period of time, but an immediate act of God declared in the court of heaven as soon as the sinner receives Christ in his perfect righteousness as his own. At that instant, the believing sinner is perfectly justified once and for all. Those who are justified by God, dear ones, can no more lose Christ's righteousness than Christ can lose his own righteousness. They are united to the head, even Jesus Christ, by an inseparable bond. A third point. Justification is by faith alone in Jesus Christ. No one has ever been justified or judicially pardoned by God through repentance, love, or new obedience. To the contrary, acts of repentance, love, and new obedience are the fruit of justification and not the precursor to justification. It's faith alone that looks outside of oneself and looks to Jesus Christ and his righteousness as his only hope for eternal salvation. Fourthly, and lastly, justification always always issues in sanctification. Those who are justified and pardoned before God will grow in love for God, His commandments, holiness, the brethren, and one's neighbor. There is no other option for one who is justified but to grow in sanctification. Our Protestant doctrine of justification, dear ones, does not lead to lawlessness, but rather leads to loving and thankful obedience to God's law in light, in light of the abundance of God's free grace and mercy lavished upon us who deserved not this mercy, but deserved his eternal wrath and condemnation. Thus, dear ones, when our text speaks of one 
who is just or justified. It has in view one who has embraced Jesus Christ and his righteousness as his or her only hope of eternal salvation from the condemning wrath of God. Here is a healing salve to the tormented conscience of one who asks, how do I know whether I've done enough? Dear one, you can never, ever do enough. But Christ can do enough, and he has done enough to fully satisfy all the righteous demands of God's law against you. You can add nothing to his perfect obedience. If you could add your obedience to Christ, let me be perfectly honest with you, you would instantly condemn yourself to hell, for you cannot perfectly keep God's law even after becoming a Christian. Here is the only way, my beloved, to be assured that you have forever been removed beyond the reach of God's holy wrath. The only way. Dear one, as you hear the gospel now, won't you as a condemned sinner embrace by faith alone Christ and His righteousness? Why put it off? If you've never trusted Christ, if you've not come to Him to embrace Him, the offer of this salvation is made to you even now. He promises to you that He will not refuse any who come to Him. He will never cast any out of this justified state to receive him by faith alone. I encourage you, I urge you, I exhort you, I implore you, do not spurn this love for you will never find a love, a salvation or a righteousness like his that is able to quench the very fires of hell itself. Now that we clearly understand who this just father and just mother is. Carefully note that which characterizes him or her. This father or mother, the text says, walks in his or her integrity. They do not walk in their integrity in order to be justified before God, but rather walk in their integrity because they are justified before God. With James, we declare that faith without works is dead. How is faith seen and vindicated, dear ones, before the eyes of men? By our loving obedience to God's good and holy commandments. By our walking in our integrity. A grace that is even given to us by God himself. The ability to walk in integrity. <clears throat> well, let us talk a little bit about what it means to walk in integrity. To walk in one's integrity conveys the idea of walking back and forth. That's the emphasis of the particular verb that is used in the, the aspect of that verb. To walk back and forth, to and fro. It conveys the idea of walking in all circumstances, in all of life, in one's integrity. To walk in sincerity and in truth. It is to live a life, dear ones, of faith without pretense and without show. And here are a few characteristics I would, I would give to you 
of integrity. A few characteristics of integrity. Integrity is opposed to all hypocrisy in our lives. Integrity hates and despises mere outward externalism and ritualism like that of the Pharisees. Integrity loves transparency and honesty with God and man. Integrity rejoices in the work of the Spirit in revealing to us our sin. Integrity is more interested in knowing the truth and standing for the truth than in saving face before others when in error. Integrity freely admits when sin is committed and seeks out those offended as soon as possible. Integrity hates pride and self-exaltation but loves humility and brokenness before God and man. Integrity does not play games with people, does not seek to use people or to manipulate people for their own ends. Integrity is able to take and desires to take all the words that proceed from one's mouth and to sign one's name to them as being faithful, honorable, and true. When one speaks, a man or a woman of integrity who walks in their integrity is so careful with their speech that they're able, if they had to, to sign their own name, to put it on a piece of paper and to sign their own name for all who have a right to those words, to hear them or to see them, to know that his own name stands behind those words that were uttered. Integrity, dear ones, is in a man or a woman who keep their word. Promises and covenants are sacred and kept to his or her own hurt. A man, woman, or child of integrity is one who seeks to live the same Christian life before his family, before his fellow workers on the job, before the members of the church as he or she does when he or she is all alone and no one else sees but God himself. You see, integrity despises double standards as well. And so he doesn't try to live one way when he's in front of people and an entirely different way when he's not in front of people. Integrity is consistent, seeks to live consistently the Christian life. For integrity knows that it cannot hide anything from God. To act as though we can hide from God is to treat God as if he really doesn't exist. It's to become a practical atheist, to think that we can act differently when we're by ourselves. That we can look at things on the TV or on the computer when nobody else is around us, but we wouldn't dare do so if our wife or the minister were there with us. But God is there all the time. And that's who the person of integrity is seeking to please above all else, the living God. Christian parents 
who walk in their integrity in all areas of life are those who evidence before their children that their faith in Christ is not to be lived just one day of the week, but all seven days of the week. Plans, decisions, and goals in their lives don't revolve around the standard of what is most fun to do, but around the standard of what is most consistent with God's holy word and what glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. These are parents who walk in integrity. Now it should be noted that no parent has absolute or perfect integrity. We all fall short of that model and that pattern of integrity. But as Christian parents, we should be always desiring, praying, and endeavoring to grow in our integrity, in our consistency, in application of our Christian life in whatever sphere we're placed. We shouldn't be different persons in different contexts, in effect denying by either word or deed what we proclaim in other contexts. We must pray that Christ give us a holy hatred for all falsehood, hypocrisy, and inconsistency in our lives. And we pray the Holy Spirit convict us and show us and reveal to us our inconsistencies so that we may confess them, so that we may seek by God's grace, grace and by the death of Christ to mortify them and put them to death and receive the fatherly forgiveness of our God as we continue and proceed in our life of sanctification and growing in ever greater conformity to Him who is perfectly and who perfectly walks in integrity, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Christian parent, dear ones, who is described for us in Proverbs 27 as the just man who walketh in his integrity. Well, let us consider, secondly, the reward of a just man. Now we come to that reward which thrills the heart of every Christian parent. His children are blessed after him. How exciting to know that the Lord promises here graciously to reward our loving, desire, and sincere efforts to walk in integrity before the Lord and before our fellow man, and especially before our children from the context that we're looking at today. It is not, however, for the merits of the parents that children are blessed, but for the mercy and the grace of God, for the merits of Jesus Christ, who delights to reward integrity with kindness and with blessing, to bless our children through the covenant promises that are made to us and which include our children. It delights the Lord to pour forth His blessings, dear ones, upon our dear children. It brings them great joy that His covenant may be glorified, that we may see it is not ultimately we who receive credit and glory, but the Lord Jesus Christ, the God of our salvation, who has covenanted with even us and with our children. 
We must be careful, dear ones, that we do not walk in integrity primarily, first and foremost, in order to secure blessing to our children. That is a very important consideration. However, we must always walk in integrity supremely to glorify our Father who is in heaven to express our love to our Savior for all his tender mercy unto us and to manifest our gratitude to the blessed Spirit of God who so faithfully applies the redemption purchased by Christ to our lives. Beloved, let us not be so quick to lay claim to this promise for our children if we do not desire and yearn to live a life of integrity before God and our fellow man. Not a life of perfection, but a life of integrity in which even when we blow it, even when we sin, even when we find ourselves in error, we are humbled before God and man and quickly repent and confess our sin or error. Our children, in all such cases, when we go through that process as parents, our children will learn as much by our sins and weaknesses as by our strengths and by our graces as they behold the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ living and growing in our lives. How are the children of Christian parents who walk in their integrity blessed? How do these children receive these blessings? In what form? Do these blessings come? Well, let me give to you three blessings that I believe are very significant which come to children through their Christian parents who are just and walk in their integrity. First of all, the children of Christian parents are blessed in receiving Christian instruction and discipline. What a blessing you, dear children, have. What a blessing you have to be catechized, to be instructed in the Scripture, to be taught at home under the supervision of loving Christian parents and even corrected and disciplined according to the Word of God. What a blessing is yours to be in such an atmosphere When you consider in various families the hell on earth that so often pervades homes. What a blessing is yours, dear children, to have Christian parents. Dear children, do not despise. Do not despise the godly instruction of your Christian parents. Do not reject their correction and discipline. Learn from it and be wise and live. Those children who hate the godly instruction and discipline of their parents love death. Christian parents, realize that your instruction and discipline will be effective to the degree that you walk in integrity before them our children will be far more likely to walk in integrity when they see our own example, our own consistent example 
And that's not again to say that ultimately our children's salvation is based upon us. It is just simply to say that the means that God uses more often than not in bringing our children to salvation is when we walk consistently in our integrity before our children. For our actions, dear ones, will speak more loudly than our mere words. How Christian parents show their love and affection to one another will instruct the children in the love of Christ for His church. How Christian parents show their love and affection to the children will instruct them in the love of their Heavenly Father for His own dear children. This instruction and discipline is to be carried out in the child's life, dear ones, with greater supervision while the child is in his or her minority and still under the parent's roof, but is carried out with less and less supervision as the child reaches adulthood and leaves the parent's house. The parenting, dear ones, that begins with little supervision when the child reaches adulthood or actually let me rephrase that the parenting that begins with little supervision while a child is yet young and ends with greater supervision when a child reaches adulthood will likely end with greater problems between parent and child The time for more strict and close supervision is while they are young. The goal is to bring them to the point as adults where they can supervise themselves. But even as adults, Christian children should always love and appreciate the godly counsel of Christian parents. It should be something that they never despise or want to forsake. A second blessing that comes to children through Christian parents. The children of Christian parents are blessed in being guided into an honorable or holy vocation and a sacred marriage. I put this under this category because I don't believe that non-Christian parents nor nominal, merely nominal Christian parents can guide their children into a holy vocation or into a sacred marriage. I believe only Christian parents can do that. These are the two most important temporal goals that Christian parents should have for their children. An honorable and holy vocation. By holy, I don't mean that they must become ministers. By holy, I simply mean that since God has set apart all lawful vocations to be used to glorify Him, every vocation becomes holy and set apart unto God. Whether they work outside the home or whether they work inside the home, every vocation is holy. And it is a Christian parent who can teach his children or her children that every vocation is holy unto God.
A holy vocation, dear ones, does not necessarily mean a vocation that makes the most money possible, but one that will be in keeping with the child's gifts and abilities, and one that will provide honest labor in supporting himself or herself or a family once married. It is not always the case that a young man, moving on to marriage, it is not always the case that a young man or a young woman will desire to be married. They may have the gift of celibacy, either temporarily or permanently. But such a gift, if one genuinely has the gift of celibacy, such a gift should manifest itself not in mere self-service, but rather in serving God and in serving others and in promoting the kingdom of God. <clears throat> Dear ones, it is not a blessing to be relegated to the pages of antiquity that Christian parents should desire to guide their children into a holy and happy marriage. Children, you should welcome their involvement in all their godly counsel to you. Parents, you should work with your children rather than working against them or apart from them in these matters. Preparing for marriage is not only being guided to the right man or woman, but more importantly, becoming the right man or woman. Don't skip over, dear ones. Don't skip over the period of preparation, wanting to rush so quickly into the, into the period of realization. For realization without preparation is a certain formula for devastation. Take your time in looking for the right match, both parents and children. <clears throat> not the most beautiful, not the most handsome match, not, not the most gifted, not the most talented match, not the most educated match, not the most wealthy match, but the most godly match, where there is agreement in the truth an agreement in living consistently a life of integrity. A third blessing, the final blessing, the children receive through Christian parents. The children of Christian parents are blessed and being led to the Savior. Dear parents, you can forget about the college from which your children graduated, the honors they received, the prestige they have attained in their callings, the amount of money they earn, their, their many gifts or graces, or their physical appearance. You can forget about all those things if they spend all eternity in hell. doesn't matter. In the final analysis, all that really matters is the state of your children's soul. There are other important things that parents are to be involved with by way of earthly care, but in the final analysis, that which is supremely important is the state of their soul. And although you Christian parents cannot save your children's soul, you are still, never forget, you are still the most significant means by which God does save your children. Dear Christian parents, I ask you, are you more concerned 
that your children have fun, eat the right food, or get a good education than that they embrace the Lord Jesus Christ alone for their eternal salvation and use their lives to promote the kingdom of Christ and whatever calling God gives to them. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Dear Christian parents, realize that God covenanted with Abraham that he would not only be Abraham's God, Abraham who could believe, but that he would even be Isaac's God who could not yet believe. I encourage you, dear ones, use the divinely appointed means of grace in leading your children into Christ. Prayer, the Word of God, and the sacraments. Pray daily for their salvation. Make them wise unto salvation through the Word which is taught to them. Catechize them. Ask them questions continuously about their faith. Apply the scriptures to the various decisions, to the various matters that go on in their life. Bring them back to what does God think? What does the Word of God teach? How does this glorify God? How will you enjoy God through this particular activity or practice? And bring them to the sign and seal of baptism where the promises made to them in the covenant of grace are visualized. Be faithful, dear ones, in training them to have their own secret worship when they're old enough to read, when they're old enough to pray. Encourage them. Help them in establishing their own time of secret worship. Set an example before them by your own practice. Ask them, have you had your family, your secret worship this morning or this evening before going to bed? Be faithful in family worship. Be faithful in corporate worship. Do not make, dear ones, do not make your faithfulness or their faithfulness a burden. Seek to encourage them that this is the way to enjoy God. This is not the way to find ourselves under greater and greater burdens, but this is the way to have the burdens lifted, to spend time with the Lord in these various contexts, to be able to walk free of our sins and our burdens that so easily do weigh us down. I encourage you, parents, admit even your struggles to your children. Admit your struggles with secret worship. Admit your struggles at times with family worship, that your heart isn't at that point in time where it ought to be, but that you want it to be there. Let them see that even in their parents, that there is a transparency and an honesty so that they do not seek to live, again, a life of hypocrisy. This is a blessing of which Solomon speaks here in Proverbs 20, verse 7. This is a blessing that will not just 
be realized in your, in your life. It will not simply end with your children, but it will go on to your children's children for generations to come. This blessing, God promises to all those who love Him, He will pour forth His blessings, His loving kindness to a thousand generations. Above all else, dear Christian parents, lead your children to Jesus Christ commit them to Christ even if they have become rebellious and have walked away from the faith. Trust in Christ and in His covenant to restore them unto Himself and to bring them back as we see in the parable of the prodigal son. Remember, you cannot save your children, but Jesus Christ can. And He chooses to use the appointed means of prayer and love and instruction and your integrity to draw them into faith in Jesus Christ. Don't give up, dear parent, even when your children have walked from the faith. Don't give up. Don't become weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you faint not. Please stand with me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, how we do praise Thee for Thine encouragement from Thy Word this day. How we praise Thee for Thy covenant. O oh Lord our God, we pray that we would do nothing to, to cause a stumbling block before them. Thou would help us, O oh Lord, to walk a, a life of integrity before them so as to lead them to Jesus Christ. We ask, O oh Lord, that our children would be given faith, that they would be given, Lord, uh, a nature, a new nature, which, Lord God, would uh, uh, desire the things of God, that would run to the offer which is made to them in their baptism. We ask, our God, that Thou would draw them unto Jesus Christ, Thou would pour forth the blessings of which Solomon here speaks, that we would rejoice in thy goodness, even as thou dost rejoice in thine own goodness, in thine own mercy, in thine own uh, truth, as it is displayed in our lives and in the lives of our children. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video, or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-450, 3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail 
at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.